Hey everyone, you're listening to God's Whole Story, a podcast from Worship Center. We know just how hard it is to get into God's Word every single day, so we decided to read through the Bible chronologically and talk about it together. Thanks for listening. Hey guys, welcome to God's Whole Story. Uh, we are wrapping up Job today. Uh, I, I definitely found Job a lot more intriguing and interesting than I thought I was going to, so we are going to talk today about the last little bit. Uh, I'm here with my co-host Chelsea, and we have Andrew Kelly with us again today. So uh, as soon as we finish the reading, Chelsea was like, wow, I have so much to talk about. So this seems like the perfect way to set up. Like, guys, Chelsea has a lot to talk about. That's perfect. You take this, Chelsea. Oh, my gosh. You take this. Actually, okay, I know you guys really want to talk about Leviathan and, you know. We have to. Mythical creatures and dinosaurs and crocodiles and all that stuff. But what actually stuck out to me a lot in chapter 42, verse 5, um, talks about, I've only heard about you before, but now I've seen you with my own eyes. That stuck out to me of just like this beautiful picture of Job asking God for an audience over and over again, and now he finally got what he wanted, and he is a changed person. Like, everything has changed for him. Um, And when it talks about Job repenting, that's the other thing that stuck out to me. I just want to be clear. I mean, and maybe, maybe you have a different thought. I don't know. But Job is not repenting for those sins that he was supposed to do by his friends. He's repenting for the fact that he assumed that he could be just like God, like he could govern the world like God did. And he had this idea of justice and God completely turned his world around when he revealed to him that there's no way that you could have any justice when I am God. And I just, I think about that as a believer or when I'm questioning things that are happening in the world, when I'm questioning those things, am I saying I could do this better than God or like, I can make better decisions than God, or I am more just than God. And I think to have that, to have that thought and just come from a place of humility, I don't know. I just, that's, that, that stuck out to me a lot. I, I do love that we have, like Job is established as a righteous person, like in the beginning of the book. Mm-hmm. So at the end of Job, we have now this righteous person who apparently is known as doing everything pretty right. Mm-hmm coming to a point where he now has a bigger picture of God, a better understanding of God, and he's repenting before God. Yeah. So I think it's, I think it's a great example to us. Um, like, even though we may be found righteous by the death and resurrection of Jesus before God, like we are consistently growing and maturing in our understanding of God and our relationship with God, um, like Job, I right. think. I think this is a great foundation for like what we would call apologetics. If someone is, yeah. if someone, may, an atheist agnostic is like, how could a God do these awful things? Or how could a God allow this to happen? I think a great question to ask back is, could you do a better job? Like, could do you know where the ostriches lay their eggs or where the eagle lands? Like, can you control the winds and the tides and the oceans and the seas and the river? Like, can you control those things? Could you do a better job? And I just, I'm curious to hear somebody's answer. Like, could they do a better job than God? Man, this, this raises so many questions. Like, it raises <laughs> so, so many questions because I think that, like, I, I, I think one of the biggest questions it raises in me is, um, <clears throat> what is it about me that that um, would keep would would get in the way of my own drawing near to God, my own coming close to God? Because of is it my own pride that's causing me to almost kind of say, you know, like um, 
I've, I've got some things to bring to you, God. I've got some, <laughs> some, some arguments to bring. And the thing, like, kind of like what you mentioned, I think that one of these dynamics about this entire book, you know, now that we're like looking at this book end of it, and you mentioned the start of Job, um, is that, is that I, I, sometimes it really makes me wonder how is it that God actually approaches us, you know, and almost, I don't know, could it be said how fatherly God approaches us from this book? Because one of the things that, you know, you brought up the beginning of Job, it sounds like God's actually really proud of Job. He's like, yeah, but have you seen my man, Job? <laughs> he, he is, I, I promise you, you can do what you want he's not going to curse me. Mm-hmm. And he's like proud of him, but it's not, God doesn't say that to Job in this part. He like, he still brings Job to this part of saying, of, of, he, he brings Job to this point uh, that, that sounds almost very disciplinary, you know, like he's, he's been very disciplinary to Job and, and yet, and and yet, I'm just guessing there was still this whole dynamic of, yeah, but this is my man, Job. And so I, I, I think that that makes that, that then raises a whole bunch of questions in my mind. I mean, like, like, does that mean that like, it's possible for God to be like bursting with like some kind of, I don't know, pride and affection for his children. And then at the same time, have some things to like, yeah, come absolutely. and be kind of stern with them about. Yeah. I, yeah. And, and, I think it's a picture of his grace. I mean, mm-hmm. he we go, we go back to what his friends believed and what the what, what the natural inclination was in that day. Again, the law of retribution. Mm-hmm. If you do righteousness, you'll be blessed. If you do wickedness, you'll receive suffering. Um, but God's breaking that down. He's like, that's actually not how the world works all the time. Like, I am so much higher than a formula. And it's God's grace that he's showing Job just who he is. And Job is able to live and tell the tale. <laughs> well, yep. I, I feel like so much can be unpacked in that statement alone because I think that that is our natural inclination across all of right, life yeah. is to think if I do really good things, then I'm then I'm in good shape. If I, you know, the whole thing of like we, I, I think that it really puts. I mean, God, it's like God stands up in the court of karma. I don't know <laughs> to say, karma. you know, like to say, <laughs> but that's not quite how things go. You right. think that's how it goes. So much can be unpacked with that. Yeah. That's really, really good. Okay. Should we talk about dinosaurs and crocodiles? Well, I want to set this up. So in when we talked about Genesis, we said, hey, don't get distracted by the wrong things. It'd be very cool to talk about how people live to be a thousand years old. Right. That's not what this is for. Um, So we set up the book of Job kind of the same way. Like, don't get distracted by the same things. Don't necessarily think about like, wow, his whole family died. Like, what? I mean, those are important details. Don't get me wrong. But- Let's not look at the wrong thing. So the point of Job, the, bo- the book of Job, is not to teach us about dinosaurs. It's not to teach us about ancient creatures. <laughs> it's very interesting. I get it. It's very interesting. It's I, so hard. I'm <clears throat> stuck on the verse when it sneezes, it flashes light. I'm still stuck <laughs> on that. So I, I am excited to talk about these creatures because it is interesting. But the purpose of this book is not to teach us about ancient animals. It's to teach us about who God is as he what interacts with Job. What can we Job. get on ancient animals? Uh, there's not a lot. There's not a lot. Um, so I, I just think I just think it is a valuable lesson because one of the things I do remember as a kid learning about Job is like, did you know that there were giant crocodiles? And that's all I took away. Yeah. So don't do this journey with us and just be like, yeah, but the crocodiles. <laughs> like, no. The fire-breathing crocodiles. God. It's all God. What can you learn about God? Which is actually how we set up the book of Job. Like, right. what are you going to be able to learn about God? So – with 
With all that being said, how about those crocodiles? <laughs> <laughs> well, you raise a good point because, like, at this point, like, I mean, I read that part and my mind is completely off of the bigness of God. Right, right. <laughs> and I'm like, no, but that sounds a lot like a big brontosaurus that breathes fire. <laughs> yeah, like, is this dinosaurs? <laughs> Did they get on the ark? I don't know. <laughs> I'm, yeah, for real. Yeah, I'm, and, and really, at right, this moment, I'm like, I've forgotten about the bigness of God. I'm right. So thinking about like, right, and I, I think it's actually right. a great example of what happens to us sometimes when we give in to those kinds of things. It's yeah. not bad. It's kind of entertaining. It's an interesting thought. Yeah. But don't miss what we're actually trying to be taught with like the whole of Scripture. Like, we yeah. want to know more about God. Right. Exactly. Okay. But what do you think Leviathan is? <laughs> so I just read. I, I am trying to like. I'm, so in this journey through Job. I don't know a ton about Job. I've been trying to read a lot of different stuff about Job. I do know more now because I read a lot about Job. I I just finished reading like a pretty interesting thing. And this is just a perspective. I'm not saying that like this is how it goes. Um, This one guy was saying that these two creatures are very similar to uh, other gods, other mythical creatures at the time that would have represented like death and hell. Okay. I, it, even today, it feels like a little bit of a reach, but what's intriguing to me is that if that were the case, we have here a situation where God is setting up, he is sovereign even over death and hell, which is a pretty wild thought. Again, like, take this with a grain of salt. I'm not sure. Uh, but I do love the idea of God in this narrative being like, hey, here's the two craziest things you can think of, death and hell. I'm in charge of those two. Right. And they're scary and they're huge and nobody can do anything to them, but I can because even I am in charge of those things. Right. Um, we know that's true. That's why I don't have, that's why I don't have a terrible time saying it. Like we yeah. know it's true that God has power over death and hell. It's right. true whether there's a Leviathan or not. Uh, but it would have been a way to use kind of imagery to be like, hey, God has power. Yeah. And what I learned, which is a little bit similar, is that um, Leviathan is this mythological creature yeah. that um, man made up. And it represents – actually, it's like a seven it's like a seven-headed sea monster in, oh, mytholo- yeah. in mythology um, that represents chaos. And so kind of like what you said, the craziest, most dangerous thing that man can make up in his head, like God is still over that. Yes. Like God is not intimidated by our mythological – Man, you guys are kind of bringing it home for me because, I mean, the the truth is, is that like the point that that is being made here is that um, is that it doesn't matter whether um, whether or not that that we're talking about a real creature or not, because like the point that God's actually making is we all I think we all have those things, those fears in our life that our minds always go that way where we go. But yeah, God, what about this? But what about this? And what about this big scary thing? And what about this big scary thing? And eventually to what you were saying, what about death and hell? You know, like what about all those things that are, are, you know, like I think everybody has this, this whole, um, like recognition that like, uh, I, I have no ability to control mm-hmm. that. I have no ability mm-hmm. to, to do anything about that. And, and I think that like, the the fact that God is coming and addressing these things to Job is, I, I think he's kind of obviously even kind of bringing it home to Job of saying, don't lose how big I am. Yeah. I wonder if God was just like reading Job's mind in that moment where Job was like, in his mind, well, what about Leviathan? Like, <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> no matter what, it's God declaring, 
He is right. the boss. He yeah. is sovereign over all things. Yeah. Um, even the worst thing you can think of. So, I mean, we can bring that home to today. Like, yeah. what's, what is today when you're listening to this? What is the worst thing you can think of? What are you afraid of right now? God has power over that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's going to go the way that God wants it to go. So let's approach God with humility, understanding his power. Yeah. Should we have a bonus episode on the Loch Ness Monster? Totally. Because today we, we is, had an office debate about this already today. I mean, this isn't, this isn't, um, I don't know if this is bad to say, this isn't January 31st. You can cut it out. Um, but, <laughs> but, well, February, I mean, January 25th is Robert Burns Day. And that's, he's a famous Scottish poet. And I think it's only appropriate, appropriate to talk about the Would you like to recite some poetry? Oh, oh man, actually. We just did. We just did a whole yeah. bunch of it. Oh, we could just sing Auld Lang Syne because he wrote that. Oh, so, I didn't know that. Um, but, um, like but anyway, I think that, like for all length sign for all length sign um that's what job is getting at he's, he's really saying <laughs> i like it he's really saying uh, no but like i i think that like that i had only heard about you before but now i've seen you with my own eyes i think that that even as we because i think that if we're looking at the narrative of the entire bible it's this god who's willing to be seen up close and he wants to make himself known to us and and i mean i think that that's still something that blows my mind why does god want to make himself known to us and and and, and what i'm continuing kind of almost challenged by across the entire book of Job. I feel like I keep coming back to it in my head is Job's posture before God that was very different than his friend's posture before him. And there's this sense of like where Job actually um, in his posture actually wants to uh, actually – wants just to be close to God, wants to draw close, wants to to trust him – um, beyond the things that he can't understand. Um, and that challenges me. That challenges me in the today um, because I think that there's this side that God always wants me to be drawing. God wants to make himself known to me. Um, and I hope that I can have this kind of posture um, before him. Yeah. And that. So, yeah. Awesome. What a great way to wrap up, Job. Except I have one aside. Uh, Sweet. Ryan. Okay. I can never actually get over the, uh, the the idea that like the moral of this story is that Job Job had a family, God got rid of it, God gave a better family back. I think again you're focusing on the wrong question. <laughs> yes, yeah, and I did want to at least say that like yeah, it's pretty easy to get caught up into that. You're asking the wrong question, mm-hmm. but but that honestly that is the way that I have always seen Job until like this year. Hmm. was like, oh, man, I just hate the story of Job because it's like, oh, his family, it was great, but then God gave him a better one. And that's like so offensive to his first family. Yeah. But that's not the point of Job. It's not the point of Job. I I listened or read something, or maybe it was Chris Lossball. I can't remember where I heard this. <laughs> Sorry, Chris, if this is... That's actually said. my favorite theological response to everything. I, I read something, I heard something, or maybe it was Chris Lossball. <laughs> <laughs> or Lindsay. Um, <laughs> yes. But... This, the book of Job is this picture of what we have in Christ. Yeah. Um, so the suffering that we might in, endure on this earth, um, Jesus actually talks about what we're going to receive in heaven. And it's very similar to what Job receives. That's so, really good. And, and Job's suffering and repentance and the Lord's like consolation to him, like the suffering that we endure on this earth is nothing compared to the gifts we're going to receive through salvation and through God's eternal plan for us. Anyway. That's it. Well, just to bring it right back into that, into the New Testament, that no eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has right. in store for those exactly. who love him and yeah. are called according to his purpose. Like, yeah. 
that's um wow wow that book like i mean that verse could sit right here with with mm-hmm. job right so yeah. shout out to whoever said that and i'm quoting <laughs> way to go chris or whoever that was <laughs> Guys, thanks so much for listening today. We are officially done with Job. We are going to be moving into Exodus tomorrow. So um, we'd love for you to continue this journey with us. So thanks so much for listening to God's Whole Story. It's been awesome to have Andrew Kelly here with us. Thanks again. I love being here. I'm just going to come back every time, whether I get there a you mic go. or not. Sounds great. Job chapter 40, starting in verse 6. Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind, Brace yourself like a man, because I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. Will you discredit my justice and condemn me just to prove you are right? Are you as strong as God? Can you thunder with a voice like his? All right, put on your glory and splendor, your honor and majesty. Give vent to your anger. Let it overflow against the proud. Humiliate the proud with a glance. Walk on the wicked where they stand. Bury them in the dust. Imprison them in your world of the dead. Then even I would praise you, for your own strength would save you. Take a look at Behemoth, which I made just as I made you. It eats grass like an ox. See its powerful loins and the muscles of its belly? Its tail is as strong as a cedar. The sinews of its thighs are knit tightly together. Its bones are tubes of bronze. Its limbs are bars of iron. It is a prime example of God's handiwork, and only its creator can threaten it. The mountains offer it their best food, where all the wild animals play. It lies under the lotus plants, hidden by the reeds in the marsh. The lotus plants give it shade, among the willows beside the stream. It is not disturbed by the raging river, not concerned when the swelling Jordan rushes around it. No one can catch it off guard or put a ring in its nose and lead it away. Can you catch Leviathan with a hook or put a noose around its jaw? Can you tie it with a rope through the nose or pierce its jaw with a spike? Will it beg you for mercy or implore you for pity? Will it agree to work for you, to be your slave for life? Can you, can you make it pet like a bird or give it to your little girls to play with? Will merchants try to buy it, to sell it in their shops? Will its hide be hurt by spears or its head by a harpoon? If you lay a hand on it, you will certainly remember the battle that follows. You won't try that again. No, it is useless to try to capture it. The hunter who attempts it will be knocked down. And since no one dares to disturb it, who then can stand up to me? Who has given me anything that I need to pay back? Everything under heaven is mine. I want to emphasize Leviathan's limbs and its enormous strength and graceful form. Who can strip off its hide? And who can penetrate its double layer of armor? Who could pry open its jaws? For its teeth are terrible. The scales on its back are like the rows of shields tightly sealed together. They are so close together that no air can get between them. Each scale sticks tight to the next. They interlock and cannot be penetrated. When it sneezes, it flashes light. Its eyes are like the red of dawn. Lightning leaps from its mouth. Flames of fire flash out. Smoke streams from its nostrils like steam from a pot heated over burning rushes. Its breath would kindle coals for flames shoot from its mouth. The tremendous strength in Leviathan's neck strikes terror wherever it goes. Its flesh is hard and firm and cannot be penetrated. Its heart is hard as a rock, hard as a millstone. When it rises, the mighty are afraid, gripped by terror. No sword can stop it. No spear, dart, or javelin. 
Iron is nothing but straw to that creature, and bronze is like rotten wood. Arrows cannot make it flee. Stones shot from a sling are like bits of grass. Clubs are like a blade of grass, and it laughs at the swish of javelins. Its belly is covered with scales as sharp as glass. It plows up the ground as it drags through the mud. Leviathan makes the water boil with its commotion. It stirs the depths like a pot of ointment. The water glistens in its wake, making the sea look white. Nothing on earth is its equal. No other creature so fearless of all the creatures. It is the proudest. It is the king of the beasts. Then Joe replied to the Lord, I know that you can do anything, and no one can stop you. You asked, Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I. And I was talking about things I knew nothing about, things far too wonderful for me. You said, Listen, and I will speak. I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. I take back everything I said, and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. After the Lord had finished speaking to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I am angry with you and your two friends, for you have not spoken accurately about me, as my servant Job has. So take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you, and I will accept his prayer on your behalf. I will not treat you as you deserve, for you have not spoken accurately about me as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite did as the Lord commanded them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. When Job prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes. In fact, the Lord gave him twice as much as before. Then all his brothers, sisters, and former friends came and feasted with him in his home. And they consoled him and comforted him because of all the trials the Lord had brought against him. And each of them brought him a gift of money and a gold ring. So the Lord blessed Job in the second half of his life, even more than in the beginning. For now he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, a thousand teams of oxen, and a thousand female donkeys. He also gave Job seven more sons and three more daughters. He named his first daughter Jemima, the second Kezia, and the third Karen Hapuk. In all the land, no women were as lovely as the daughters of Job, and their father put them into his will along with all their brothers. Job lived 140 years after that, living to see four generations of his children and grandchildren. Then he died, an old man who had lived a long, full life.